what I would tell myself if I went back, don't wait so long. Don't be so fearful. I think I could have done it sooner. I just didn't have the confidence in myself. But I think knowing what I know now, I could have put all the things in place earlier, but my own fear kind of got in the way. And I, I wish I would have abandoned that earlier. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Brand New You Show, the podcast dedicated to helping you build your personal brand. We meet here each week to learn how building your brand can help you grow your influence, amplify your online reputation, and ultimately impact your career. I'm your host, Ryan Roten, and today's guest is Rachel Sobel, founder of WineAndCheezits.com. Rachel is a mom blogger who writes about the real, unfiltered stories of motherhood, marriage, and life. After two decades of experience in the world of public relations, both with an agency and in-house, Rachel decided to step out on her own in November of 2015. Since then, she's been creating content and developing social media programs for her own clients in order to help them maximize reach and exposure in their respective markets. In addition, Rachel is a freelance writer with a monthly column and lifestyle magazine, and she's also been published in Suburban Misfit Mom and on ScaryMommy.com. Rachel, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the brand new You Show. Thank you so much, Ryan. I'm very excited to be here today. Before we get started, I do need to say thank you to Wendy Wiener for the introduction to the two of us. Absolutely. And, and if I'm correct, and memory serves me correctly, which sometimes it does not, <laughs> <laughs> I think she's going to be either uh, getting married very soon by the time this podcast release or will have just been married. So if that's the case, congratulations in either way. That is true. Very soon in May, I believe. Congratulations, Wendy, if you're listening. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel, one question that I do ask everybody before I get started with the show is, if you could vacation in only one place for the rest of your vacation days, where would you go? Um, Target alone without any children. I, I mean, that's enough. <laughs> It's an honest answer. Um, I am a horrible traveler. I love to um, be away, but I am a mess on an airplane. I need to be knocked out, basically, to travel anywhere. But if I could pick anywhere and that wasn't an issue, I would say Hawaii. Okay, Hawaii. Now, have you been to Hawaii or is it a place you want to go? No, I, I haven't because that requires me getting on a plane for many, many hours. So in my head, it sounds wonderful and I have every intention to one day go there. Um, I just have to get over that fear of being on a plane for that long. It's a very long time for me to be contained in, in one area and I'm very type A, so it's a little bit difficult <laughs> okay. for me. Awesome. Well, I, <laughs> hopefully then you'll be very excited and happy with the changes that Target has just recently announced that they will be making to all their stores over the course of 2016. Super. <laughs> Super excited. Super excited. <laughs> one, more, one more kind of fun question. Who would you rather hang out with if you had a choice? Chrissy Teigen or LL Cool J? Oh my God, why are you doing that to me? That's a very difficult question. Um, I have been a big fan of LL Cool J since I'm 16 years old, but I, I have a little bit of a girl crush on Chrissy Teigen because she does it all. She's beautiful and funny and she cooks, which is, I mean, you know, that's that's a, a feat within itself. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, just to, to remain loyal, I'm going to say LL Cool J because he's he's been in my heart for a very long time. All right, there you go. LL Cool J. Now, if only I could play some <laughs> LL Cool J music right now. Now, that would be really cool. <laughs> I would sing for you, but your, your viewers and, and listeners might not appreciate it. So we'll <laughs> save that for another time. Well, maybe LL will reach out to me and give me permission to use one of his songs. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> that would be. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
let's get into this, Rachel. Now, you you were going through life just like many of us do. You had a regular jobs at regular businesses and companies, and you were uh, in public relations. What what was that like, the early part of your career? I mean, you went to school, you got out, you got a job. You had to have been excited about working in the area where your degree came from. So, you know, what what are some of the things in, that you liked about doing that, that role? And maybe what are some of the things that you didn't like? Sure. So I loved, I knew that um, in college when I was exposed to public relations and communications in general, that it was, it fit like a glove. It was exactly what I wanted to do. I never questioned it. I never looked back and it was really exciting. I think one of the things I didn't like was that the, the expectations for a job when you got out of college were severely unrealistic. Um, I, I got out of school with a um, bachelor's degree, went on to get my master's and my first job offer. I, I literally cried mm. at how low <laughs> the salary was. And I, I just couldn't believe after spending all that time in school, um, you know, what I was faced with in terms of reality. However, my parents, being the realists that they are, said to me, listen, this is what you want to do. Now is the time to do it. You live at home. You have no real obligations. You can work your way up the ladder and have the career that you want without stressing out about the financial side of it. And that's exactly what I did. And looking back in retrospect, it was such a good lesson because I think that, you know, you can't be entitled and you can't expect too much without any work behind you coming out of school. You have to really kind of pay your dues, as cliche as it sounds. And I did that. I did it on the agency side. I did it in-house. And I loved my career. I loved everything that I did, everything I was exposed to. No day was was like any other. Um, I think my favorite part that I really latched onto as I got further into my career was working with media. Mm. I really kind of became known as this media bulldog, um, you know, going after placements for my clients and making sure that they had really good exposure with the, the industry publications that were important to them. And I thrived on it. Um, and so I, I really think that I learned so much in terms of tenacity and, you know, the art of persuasion and all of those things that you learn as a public relations professional throughout my career. Hmm, interesting. Um, I have a, I have multiple questions that came out of that, but the one that really, okay. the one that's really sticking with me is, is that when you said you had some, uh, the expectations are unrealistic as you come out of school. Yes. Were those yes. expectations that you're referring to, were they your expectations or, or are they more with the companies that you go to or is it a combination of both? I think it was really my expectations. I think that, you know, when you're, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, and you're studying in college and you're, you're forming the basis of what you think your career is going to going to be. I think you're young. You don't really understand the reality of the world and, and what a paycheck is going to look like. I genuinely think that because I was working so hard, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to come out of school and I'm going to make X amount of dollars. And when I got that first job offer and it was, you know, $30,000 lower than what I thought it was going to be, it was my own fault. It was the expectations I put on myself. I think that in school, you know, I don't know how it's changed in the, in the college landscape, the university landscape now, but when I was in school, no one discussed salaries. They didn't tell you what you could expect. And I, I really think they do a disservice because I think that kids should know when they're choosing their careers, not that you're, it should be based on that, but you should have a realistic expectation of what you can expect when you're walking into job interviews and, and you're talking to these companies because it's harrowing when you're 21 years old and you're going to these big, you know, offices and you're talking to executives and you're trying to sell yourself, I think that it's hard to understand what is realistic in, in terms of what you can expect um, when you're signing your first job offer. Hmm. It's a it's an interesting perspective. And I, I definitely remember the days of uh, you know, when I first got out of school, which mm -hmm. we won't talk about how long ago that was. <laughs> we don't want to, we don't want to age ourselves. <laughs> you know, but, uh, my, 
actually the the kind of candle that I held for salary expectations uh, when I got out of school was what I was seeing my peers accept mm-hmm. when they got out of school. And, you know, cause I, I was on the five-year plan. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so a lot of the people that I went to college with were on the four-year plan. So I got to see them go through that process. So I think when I came out, I had a little bit uh, more mm-hmm. uh, realistic expectations, let's say of what I, of what I was worth, if you will, in the marketplace. But I mean, these are back in the days when engineers we're getting, you know, they're hiring their, their starting salary was like 36,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And for them at that time, that was huge. And yeah. everybody was all excited about it. And so I kept thinking, well, I'm not needing a degree in engineering. I better lower my expectations. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going through, you're working at a job, you get, you kind of get over this, this, um, this, these unrealistic expectations, you start to mm-hmm. realize that, yeah, you know what? Okay. I got to pay my dues. I need to do some, I need to do some things. I need to prove myself and maybe mm-hmm. this other stuff will come with it. And it sounds like you're really enjoying what you're doing. So at what point did you start your first blog? Sure. So, um, you know, I've always written, um, part of public relations and, and part of the craft is obviously writing, whether it's press releases or pitches or white papers or anything content driven. And so it was always part of my career. And in the beginning, I really wasn't good at it. I was good at it from a creative writing standpoint. Growing up in school, I was always very good in English and all of those more creative concepts. I was horrible in math, horrible in science, all of the things that were quantitative. I just couldn't get behind. It was very, very right brained. Um, um, so it was always something that I gravitated towards. But, you know, believe it or not, in the beginning of my career, I really wasn't good at it. Everything that I would send over to my managers would get completely redlined and I would be devastated. And I would, I just couldn't, I just couldn't understand how there were so many aspects that I knew I thrived in and then that I just was faltering. And so I started to grasp onto the writing part as a hobby. I never launched an actual blog until God, I was probably in my early 30s. I was living in Boston. I had a newborn and I just felt like I needed some kind of outlet. And so I started, I guess you'd call it a mommy blog. It was horrible. It was boring. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. I thought it was really informative. It was all about, you know, the things that I bought for her and the bottles and the breastfeeding and all the things that, you know, it wasn't very um wasn't very raw and honest and real. It was very canned. And as I looked at it now, I shudder and I'm like, "Oh god, I can't believe I even did that." Thankfully, I probably had like a readership of 20 that right. was family and friends. So it did matter. But it was a good exercise for me to understand the yes. kinds of things that resonated. And I think that a lot of it had to do with me being comfortable with myself and having confidence in myself as a writer. Um, when I kind of went through my career a little bit more, had a little bit more experience under my belt, and then moved back to Florida where I was from and had you know a child who was school age and I had a little bit more time on my hands, even despite working full time, I started to play around with a little, a little bit more. And about two and a half years ago was when I launched my actual real blog, Wine and Cheez-Its. Um, at first, I really unrolled it to just family and friends. I didn't, I wasn't, mm-hmm. I was very shy about sharing it publicly, but the response that I was getting was so different from the first time around because I just think I was comfortable in my own skin. I was older, more mature, had more time under my, you know, in, in under my belt. And I had a child in school where I was having these very real experiences from a parenting perspective, from a professional perspective. I was divorced and dating and all of that kind of stuff. And there were so many things in my life that um, I just I think added a different layer and a different perspective and allowed me to open up and be a little bit more vulnerable. And that's where I think the the better reception came in and gave and fueled me and gave me more motivation to continue. Yeah. So many lessons there. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, when I first started my blog, even when I first started this podcast, I listened back to the very first episodes and I, and you know, I cut, I, I shudder to hear myself. I'm like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, you sound so mechanical. Um, yeah. you know, and I still struggle with it today, but you know, you're absolutely right. And that's what I, that's what I tell people about blogging. Most people are like what you just said. They're very shy about sharing anything publicly. They're mm-hmm. afraid of the ridicule, if you will, that they think think will come with it. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is that the only people who are going to read your very first blog are probably your friends and your family. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good testing ground. It's a good testing ground to kind of, you know, and, and the, the beauty of it too is that, you know, I can't say this for everybody because everybody has, is surrounded by different circles. My friends and family are brutally honest. So they're not the kind of people who are going to be like, oh yeah, that was great. They're, they're going to not sugarcoat. They're going to tell me exactly what I need to hear um, to make it better. And, and that's, that's what I want. I don't want someone who's just going to, you know, a group of people who's just going to surround me with, you know, sugarcoated stuff that's going to keep producing the same stuff that people don't like. And so I think I was very fortunate um, in that respect. Yeah. I, I tell people when they get started, use the gift of anonymity <laughs> to find your voice yep. and to get used to the process because that's the time to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and it is a gift, you know, you, it's, it's, you're being given the opportunity to start to get your voice out there, Mm -hmm. to find your voice, to put your opinions in public when, you know, you're practicing, Mm -hmm. you're doing, you're doing the 10,000 hour thing that Malcolm Gladwell talks about in his book outliers. Mm -hmm. You're getting that practice. You're becoming better with each and every time. And I can't remember who said it, but somebody told me once that if you're not embarrassed by the very first thing that you put out you know, when you get started, then you're doing something wrong anyway. Oh, I, I totally agree. And listen, there, I've been doing this for a couple of years. It's still semi-new, but there are times where right before I hit that publish button, I, I get those butterflies and I'm like, oh God, this is either going to, you know, completely take off and people are going to love it or I am going to get nailed. And you just don't know because you're so close to it and it's so personal. But when other people are reading it, they're reading it as an outsider and you don't know if they're going to have those same reactions and the same emotional connection. And it's a very scary thing to put yourself out there. I'm not writing fiction. I'm writing about my life. And so I'm opening the door into things that people are going to get an inside view into what I deal with. And sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's serious and sometimes it's raw. And it's just very, very daunting to put yourself out there and open yourself up to criticism and, you know, haters and all these people that you just don't know what is going to happen when you let something fly. And it's, it's a very scary thing, even to this day. How, how do you, I mean, how do you get over it? What, do you, what advice would you give for somebody say somebody's listening and they're inspired right now and they go, they want to start a blog, but they're scared. What advice do you give them to help them get over that hump? You know, I think you have to just be very true to yourself. And it's funny because I put out a blog um, very early in in the beginnings of Wine and Cheez-Its. And um, it was about my daughter's preschool graduation. And there were all these rumors flying during preschool graduation that people would let their nannies wait in line to hold seats and ridiculous things would happen. And I never believed it. It was like the Yeti that you never saw. (laughs) However, when I got there, it it was exactly what was going on. There were nannies at seven o'clock in the morning holding seats for families of five. And, you know, there was all all these people who'd save seats for their friends because they were on the board of the school. All these crazy things that happened in the preschool world. And I wrote about it. I didn't name the school. I didn't name anyone. I just wrote about it from a very human 
humorous, sarcastic perspective. And the minute that I posted it, a couple of the moms just went crazy. They went to the director of the preschool. I mean, it was it was it was it was a very scary thing for me because I'd never had anything public like that happen where I had that kind of reaction. Most people loved it. It was like a handful of people. But no matter how many people loved it, those handful of haters, it got to me. It was very, very hard. And a a fellow writer gave me a very good piece of advice. She said to me, listen, whatever you put out there, you just have to stand behind it. No matter who tries to shoot it down, no matter who tries to poke holes in it, you have to believe in what you put out there and what you write and just be true to yourself and, and be true to your voice. And if you do that you learn to kind of have a thicker skin. And it's true. I mean, there's still times where I struggle with it, no matter how strong of a personality or how much confidence I could have. It's like I said, it is scary, but I think that it just kind of takes time. You have to get used to those experiences where people are going to write comments that you don't like, or people are going to give you perspectives you don't like, and you have to learn to let it roll off your back. You also have to be graceful about it, right? You can't be defensive and come after every person that comes after you because that's just not a slope that you want to go down and it's not a good habit to get into. So you have to just kind of have conviction and stand behind what you do. And it does get easier, you know, every time as you kind of get more exposure to it. But then again, the more audiences you open yourself out to, the more outlets you're in, the more public that you get, you're opening the door further and further and further. And so these these people from all over the place are now in your world. It's not your friends and family anymore. And it's a lot to deal with. So, you know, I, I, I have a full wine rack that I, you know, will, you know, frequently use because sometimes you read these comments and you hear this feedback from people who don't even know you. And it's hard. It's hard to, you, you want to defend yourself all the time, but, you know, thankfully most people, including myself are surrounded mostly by people who support you. And that really helps you get, get through it. And you lean on those people and and they give you what you need to have the emotional support so that those people can't get you down. Wow, so many, so much good stuff there. I agree with all of everything you said. I've been through a lot of that same stuff, and it is hard to get over your first hater, um, mm-hmm. and it's difficult to get over the hundredth hater too. But oh yeah, you just keep going. You just got to be, as you said, you got to be true to yourself, and you just got to yep. keep doing it. And this is what you're passionate about, and this is what you want to do. You you move forward. Well, if you let them get to you, if you let them get to you, they yeah. win, right? I mean, if you let them hamper what it is that you're trying to get out there, and you censor yourself, and you start to pull back a little bit, you're not doing yourself any favors. They're winning, and it's it's not a good situation. And, and when I was published on Scary Mommy, that was one of the first times where I was outside of my own blog bubble, as I call it. You know, it wasn't just my supporters. I was really opening myself up to an entirely new audience. And I don't know if you've heard this term, but there's a term out there in the mommy blog world of sanctum mommies. And it's these mommies who are just, they're self-righteous and they judge everything everyone puts out there. And if you click on any article on any of these mom blogs, the, the bigger ones, and you look at the comments, I mean, these people they, they are, they're insane. They just go crazy. And so I was scared. I was genuinely scared when I got accepted to be published on Scary Mommy, which is a huge win for any writer or mom blogger. I was excited and scared at the same time. And when these comments started rolling in, it was harrowing. I mean, most of them, I'd say 98% of them were just 
you know, bravo and supportive and wonderful and, and really kept me motivated. And then there were those few that were very hurtful and very judgmental and very mean. Mm. And, you know, what I decided to do was, I don't know if you've seen when celebrities read mean tweets about themselves. I took the comments and I made a video reading the mean comments about myself because it was a little bit therapeutic. It was, it was silly and it was funny and it was hokey and it was a little bit, you know, gimmicky, but it was kind of what I needed to be able to get over these horrible things that people were saying and realize that there's a little bit of humor in it because these people don't even know me. They don't know my life. Right. They know nothing about me. They're reading one article and making all these judgments that just aren't true. Right. Now, while you're, while you're doing all this, do you still have the full-time job and you're still work? Wine and Cheez-Its is still on the side. You're doing this on your own? Yeah. So I was working full time, um, you know, as you said, until November. And what I was doing on the side was I was very heavily involved in Wine and Cheez-Its. Um, I wasn't yet published on Scary Mommy. I was, I did have a monthly col- column, which I still have in Lifestyle Magazine. Um, and it was hard. I, I was getting very little sleep. I have a, a young child. I was doing homework. I was, you know, still trying to find time to get on a treadmill every once in a while. I mean, it's, it's the work-life balance is very, very difficult. But I was trying very hard to grow my business in the background. And in addition to the Wine and Cheez-Its, side of it, the whole other side of it where I have that freelance writing, where I write for clients in B2B and technology and all the stuff that is from my actual professional background, to keep all of that going, it's it's hard. But I just didn't feel confident leaving a full-time job until I had a little bit of an arsenal built up behind me um, and, and felt good enough pulling the trigger saying, okay, I'm ready now. I, I have a little bit of a foundation built where I'm not going to freak out leaving a full-time paycheck. And I, I have a little bit of a, you know, a side business built below me. Right, right. So you're, you're blogging on Wine and Cheese that you're mm-hmm. starting to become more yourself. Mm-hmm. You're feeling more comfortable with the process. You're, you're maybe not as shy as about sharing publicly. Mm-hmm. When, when did Wine and Cheez-Its go from being something that was kind of an outlet, if you will, to you know that light bulb moment where you go, wait a minute, this I might be able to make a business out of this? Um, it was probably about a year in. I'd always had pretty good readership. You know, it was a couple thousand views every time I posted, which I thought for me who wasn't doing any promotion was was pretty good. I was proud of that. And I remember I wrote a blog about um, my husband. It was very personal. It was, you know, it dug into me dating post-divorce with a small child and all those struggles and definitely had my my sense of sarcasm and humor kind of woven throughout it. And I woke up um, the next morning and there were like 8,000 views. Wow. And I, I couldn't, I just couldn't even process that that many people had found it. I mean, where, who are these people? Where did they come from? How did they find me? The amount of people that shared it on Facebook. I, I just felt like, wait a minute, people are hearing my voice. They're re- it's resonating with them. They're relating. What, what do I, I'm sitting on something here that I feel like has potential. And I have to, at some point, be brave enough to accept that and move forward with that in mind versus be, having so much fear that I just stay at a company that I'm not happy at, that I don't like my job at just to have a steady paycheck. Life, life has to be more than that. I can't live my life for the rest of my life just, you know, being a drone in a company to collect money. I can't do that. I have to do something that I'm passionate about. And I think when I saw that reception to that one blog post and I realized it kept kind of growing from there, it gave me the bravery I needed to realize that I really did have something special. Would you, I mean, what'd you do next? You wake up, you see, you see your readership has increased dramatically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't, I'm assuming you didn't immediately go, oh, well, I need to do these next two or three things and I can start making money out of this. What, right. what were some of the, what, what was that learning process you went through? 
Um, I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm still learning. I, I think that I think that as a blogger, you never stop learning. And you know, there are things that have worked for other bloggers that I speak with that don't work for me, and vice versa. Um, so I think that you know, what I did from there was I really started to research how I could grow beyond my blog. Where could I submit stories to? Um, who could I contact where I could build exposure for myself? What could I do out of the box, not just writing, but you know, things like podcasts and things like contributed articles and things like you know, vlogs and all those things, what kinds of things can I add to my arsenal to, to build my brand beyond just, you know, the little wine and cheese, it's logo that, that I had created because I felt like that would make me real. That would make me a legitimate business. Um, pretty soon after that, my husband fire filed, um, an LLC, you know, paperwork to get me set up as a corporation. So all those little things you do behind the scenes that I knew nothing about, but thankfully he does, um, we put in place to actually build a business so that it was a little bit more legitimate. And I felt like I had something real, um, you know, to, to glom onto and, and build from there. So it sounds like while you, you may not have realized it at the time you had been or started to actively build a network yes. of folks, uh, or, or company connections that really kind of helped propel you to that next level. Yes. And little things too, you know, you don't even realize, yeah, obviously social media is huge. So very quickly I built an Instagram account and a Twitter account and all those things, but not for me personally, which I already had for the blog specifically for the blog. And as I realized that there were brands that were interested in me, you know, mostly wine brands because of the name of my blog and the stuff that I write about, as I realized that there were there were brands that were receptive, every chance that I had to engage with those brands on social media, I did, whether it was a product that I liked and I would take a picture and tag them and start a relationship. I just did everything that I could from, on a very grassroots level to try and, and build a stronger network around me that was bigger than just my immediate friends, family, clients, you know, past and, and, and present and all that stuff just to kind of build my exposure a little bit more. Yeah. And I, I should clarify the, your website is wine and cheese. It's, it's wine, W H I N E, just so people are aware. Yes. And it's, it's cool. I, I totally get, and by the way, I totally get the wine thing because <laughs> as a parent, you know, I, I know right where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. That I always say the wine with the H is, you know, it's more indicative of my life, even though I do like the wine without the H and the Cheez-Its. I mean, I have, <laughs> there you go. Where, where do they come from? That was my next question. So, um, my, my daughter's diet pretty much consists of Cheez-Its and goldfish. Her pediatrician says it's fine and that she's surviving and, and growing. And so it's okay, but she's the pickiest eater. And if I can't get her to eat anything, it's usually Cheez-Its do the trick. So I would literally open my purse and see like Cheez-It crumbs. And I'm like, this is my life. It's wine and Cheez-It. So that's, it was, it wasn't a, you know, rocket science. It was just kind of very real and personal to me. Yeah, that's cool. I, I mean, it's, it's catchy too. It kind of rolls off the tongue, if you will. And I like the way, you know, the wordplay with wine, W-H-I-N-E versus. Yes. Had to have a little bit of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. So when did you start <laughs> So you're doing all this outreach. You're you're really starting to now build your brand, and you're kind of doing it through what Pat Flynn would refer to as kind of the "be everywhere" mm-hmm. philosophy, for lack of a better term, if you will. Where you're you know you're reaching out in all these different avenues. When people contact you, you're t- you're you're engaging back. Mm-hmm. When when did you you know how did you get that first client? Like when did that first? What was the first dollar that came in? Oh gosh, that's a really good question. Um, it was it was before the blog was as successful in my mind as it is now, I basically, you know, because of my, my past in public relations and the clients that I was in touch with, I knew that I had clients who had also gone off on their own and probably could not afford the big agency fees of a public relations agency, but still kind of needed that TLC of, of helping 
write and do a little bit of, you know, media help for them and things like that. And so I started there. I reached out to a couple of clients who I still had relationships with and kind of just, you know, poked my head in and said, Hey, what's going on? You know, could you use my help? Can we work together? And that's really where it started from. I had a couple of previous clients from my days in Boston who had gone off on their own and started their own consultancies or technology companies or things like that and just, you know, couldn't afford the price tags of, of an agency. And so we came up with th- with things together to help with social media or content development and things like that. And because we had past relationships, I think there was that immediate familiarity and trust of knowing that we could work together. And once I had a couple of those alongside, I it gave me a little bit more confidence to go after people who are a little bit bigger. But all of my clients that I have that I'm working with now all came from word of mouth. They all are somehow related to me, whether it's on a professional level or, you know, someone that I go to personally for certain services who we just hit it off and there was good synergy and they know what I do and I know what they do. And so it just worked. And so I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by clients who I have those personal ties with, where even though we work on a professional level, we're all very comfortable with each other and and have confidence in what the other does. And so it makes it very easy. So like a lot of people who get started with their business, you you were using your network from, you know, all the way back to when you started your career. Mm-hmm. So my question becomes, as you're interacting with these folks mm-hmm. and you're talking about what you could help them do, at some point in that conversation, somebody's going to say, how much would you charge to help me do this? Mm-hmm. How did you determine your pricing? Oh my God, it was, it was that, that part was scary because you'd never want to give something away for free, right? You never want to be taken advantage of. And so I, I did a little bit of my own research. Um, you know, I, I, Google is a wonderful thing. And so I kind of dug around there first and started to see kind of what going rates were for freelancers, for writing and for proofing and for editing and for social media development. And then I reached out to people who were either doing it already or had had some experience just to kind of get a gauge on what they were paying and what they were charging. And then I, I decided, you know, okay, let me figure out how much time am I going to spend if I build a social media calendar for somebody or if I write a byline article or if I ghostwrite a blog, how much time is going into that? And then I kind of just put all the pieces together and I said, okay, this is going to be my hourly rate. This is going to be what I, you know, if I charge a flat fee per project. And because we're all kind of doing this together, we're navigating new waters together. There's a lot of collaborative conversations that go into the work that's going to be put in and what we think is fair for fair, you know, compared to fair market prices and and what we're all doing and bringing to the table. Um, But there was a lot of research and a lot of conversations that went into it to make sure that I didn't undersell myself and also that I didn't overcharge people. And and so far, it's worked in my favor because I think that I'm, you know, I've I've done my due diligence and I think that my clients feel the same way. And I think we're all very comfortable with the pricing structures. You you know, and I think you talked about a thing, something that a lot of people will struggle with especially as, as they realize that as they're creating content and they're getting engagement and people like them and they trust them and they think, I want to start doing business with this person. Mm-hmm. We all struggle with that moment in time, I'll call it, when you, you need to stop giving away your advice for free mm-hmm. and you need to start being paid for it. It so, is so hard. Yeah. So, when, so I mean, when do you hard. think, what is that time? How long should somebody go giving away free advice before they go, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I have to get paid. 
you know, I don't know if there's a right answer for me. I think it comes down to what my time is worth. You know, I'm not the kind of person who's going to have a conversation with a friend slash colleague who has a quick question and then I'm going to bill them for a half an hour call. I, I'm never going to do that. However, if I start working with you and engage with you on a regular level and I see that, you know, you're throwing work my way and we have something real here that we can both kind of benefit from, I'm not going to give my time away for free. And I think it's a, it's a very fine line and it's different for everybody. I think everybody, some people have higher tolerance levels for it than others. Um, mine is probably in that, in that realm. I think that I sometimes just feel bad if, if people who are more like friends are asking me professional advice, where do you, what do I, what am I supposed to do? Have a conversation with them about their social media needs and then send them a bill. I just don't feel right about doing that. But what I, what has, what I've benefited from is when I have done that and kind of given my time away for free, those people are coming back and hiring me because they see that I'm not sitting there nickel and diming them and they're going to come back and they're going to end up being real clients. And so as long as it's not taking too much time out of my day where I'm, I'm forsaking other work that I'm getting paid for, I'm okay giving a little bit away for free just to kind of give that taste to show that I have the knowledge and expertise to help you. But at some point you're going to have to start paying. I can't always have these conversations. Yeah, that is fantastic advice. Fantastic advice. Um, because I hear, I hear the same thing from a lot of other folks too. And, you know, especially some of your, say, bigger name bloggers, and at least in the blogosphere and even outside of the mommy blogger sphere, they all say, just give, give everything away on your blog mm-hmm. and that you can for free because mm-hmm. it will help build up that trust and that will help people want to do business with you. And it makes answering that question of when do you stop giving stuff away to free for people, advice, mm-hmm. for example, and mm-hmm. actually start charging for it. Well, and listen, the blogosphere is crowded. I mean, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of people. And so it's unrealistic to think that you're going to just walk in, start a blog, and all of a sudden you're going to be the highest paid and most wanted blogger. It just doesn't work that way. It's not real life. And so I think that if it's something that you're serious about and and you want to make a career out of it, you do have to, again, going back to the conversation about paying your dues, you have to put your time in and build a reputation and a brand around yourself so that people come to you and they respect you and they see, you know, what you're, what you're offering and, and, you know, what your value is because you can't just demand these things off the bat. It goes back to the conversation about, you know, my first salary offer. Now looking back on it, it was fair. I had no experience. I had no, you know, no job experience, no work experience, no understanding of how the industry worked. It was all textbook knowledge from college. So looking back on it now, I understand the the logic behind why I was offered what I was, but I worked my way up to, to, you know, get away from that. And I think the same can be said of when you're a blogger, you have to start somewhere. You have to give some stuff away for free. You have to build a brand and you have to make people understand what you're bringing to the table and why they should want to work with you and then have money exchange hands. Yeah. I mean, you've been working diligently for years now building your brand Mm -hmm. Um, and you clearly didn't just, you know, go buy your domain wine and cheese. It's in November and then immediately quit your job. No, (laughs) no, no, no. Listen, there were a lot of conversations. I mean, I'm, I'm married and I have a child and I have responsibilities and it would have been very irresponsible of me just to say, okay, I'm going to quit now and be a blogger. I mean, you that, that would have been just selfish. I, I'm, and I'm not built like that. I can't do that. And so aside from the, the house, keeping stuff, buying the domains and making the logos and printing t-shirts and all these, the fun stuff, all the the stuff that comes along with it that seems like it's all the things that make up a business. There were very, very 
um, you know, serious conversations with my husband, with my family saying, okay, what is it going to take? At what point do we feel comfortable leaving the comfort of a full-time paycheck, knowing that as a freelancer, there is no there's no stable money that comes in. It, it ebbs and flows. And some months you do better than you did at a full-time job. And some months, you know, you, you need your husband to pay the mortgage all on his own. And so you have to have those conversations with people closest to you because you're now bringing everyone in with you. It's now not just about you when you have a family and you have to be conscious of that. And so a lot of those conversations happened over and over and over again until my husband and I, you know, were, were comfortable knowing, okay, this is the end point. This is when I leave. This is what it looks like. This is how the money is going to work. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that you have to consider. What do you think is the most challenging part that you've faced so far of building your brand? <sighs> um, we've talked about the criticism part and that that's definitely, it's hard once you leave the initial comfort of just blogging for fun. Um, and then there's that fear, am I going to make it? What makes me different? There's a million of us out there. I mean, you go on Twitter, you go on Facebook, you go on LinkedIn and, you know, you search mommy bloggers or mom bloggers or parenting bloggers. And it's like, they're, they're everywhere. So what am I bringing to the table that is going to make someone come to me and say, I want to work with you. And how do I make sure that I am always top of mind? You know, because of my background in public relations, top of mind and being on someone's radar is just, it's, it's in, it's, in my head all the time. That's just how I, I'm built. And so it's very hard to take that publicist hat that I'm used to wearing and apply it to myself. I have a, I have blinders on and I have to consult other people that do what I do to ask for that outside guidance because I'm so close to it that sometimes I make mistakes and I don't know what I should be doing, even though if it were a client coming to me, I, it would, you know, I could do it in my sleep. I'm, it's so personal to me that I think my biggest struggle is knowing how to do what I've done for other people for myself. If you were to start all over again today, or if someone listening was to start all over again today, what's one of the first things you would tell them to do to get started the correct way? Um, I think it, there, there's a lot of research. I think you have to look and see who's doing what you're doing, how they're doing it, how you want to be different. Um, and I think that there's also no rules. I think that everyone gets, you know, I see these articles all the time, how to be a good blogger and what you shouldn't do to be, you know, when you're writing a blog or when you're running social media. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, you know, I, I differ from the masses. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think that when you're a writer and a blogger and you're writing about your life, you have to do what feels feels right and good for yourself. Don't get so caught up in the hashtags you use. Don't get so caught up in the social networks that you use and how often you post. I think it has to be authentic and genuine. And I think that the mistake I made the first time around when I started my little mommy blog, you know, fiasco, I, I wasn't true to myself. It was very, very um, generic. I think that the second time around seeing those mistakes, I just dove right in and did what felt good to me at the moment because nothing's going to, the world is not going to implode if you put a post up and people hate it or you don't get a lot of readership. I think that you just always have to listen to your heart and listen to what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And I think the biggest thing is I, I what I would tell myself if I went back, don't wait so long. Don't be so fearful. I think I could have done it sooner. I just didn't have the confidence in myself. And you can't necessarily put a timer on that and make and force that to happen. But I think knowing what I know now and seeing how smooth of a transition it was, I could have put all the things in place earlier, but my own fear kind of got in the way. And I, I wish I would have abandoned that earlier. Well, clearly you are confident now <laughs> and you are definitely a wealth of knowledge on how to get 
your brand started and get moving in the in the blogosphere, we'll call it. And and I know I've enjoyed reading uh, through a lot of your different blog posts because they are quite humorous and very raw, which Thank I enjoy. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for the readers who are interested in learning more about you or would like to you know find out where they can buy some wine and cheeses, what are the best ways for them to get in touch with you? So they can follow um, my blog itself, which is Wine and Cheese It's, and that's W H I N E and C H E E Z I T S dot com. I'm also on Facebook under the same name. I'm on Instagram at Wine and Cheese It's, spelled the same way as well. And I'm on Twitter at Wine Cheese It's, and I am accessible. It is me. I don't have someone running it for me. So if you reach me on any of those social networks, you will actually be talking to me. All right, Rachel, any final thoughts, words of wisdoms, or tips that you'd like to pass on to anybody that is listening today? Um, I think if you have a passion for something and there's something you really want to try, you have to go for it because you will kick yourself if you don't at least try. I mean, you, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what it'll turn into. I don't think I ever dreamed that me starting this little blog as an outlet, going through some life changes and just looking to add a little bit of levity to my situation would turn into what it has turned into and would have gotten me the reception that it's gotten me. And I'm so glad I took that leap. And I encourage anybody who's even on the fence about trying something new to, to just go for it. Awesome. Rachel, I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much for being a guest on the show today. Thank you so much, Ryan. I don't know about you, but there are so many takeaways for me from this discussion. But I think the one that stands out for me the most is having the courage to be true to yourself. When Rachel started blogging, remember, she was blogging in a voice that was not her own. Instead, she was using the voice of what she thought others wanted to hear from her. And it really wasn't until she decided to be true to herself and use her own voice that her blog really started to take off. So what about you? Are you being true to yourself? If you're not, like Rachel said, don't wait too long. Don't be so fearful and don't let fear get in your way. Be true to yourself because if you don't, someday you might just regret it. Thank you, Rachel, for being a guest on the show today, for sharing your story, and for reminding us that it really is better to be ourselves than to be something we think others want us to be. For you, the listener, as always, thank you for tuning in today. You help me be true to myself each and every week as I continue to explore this podcasting journey. And speaking of podcasting, if you're new to the show or even a longtime listener, don't forget that you can subscribe so that you can have each week's episode delivered right to your favorite pod catcher. One last thing before I sign off today, I'm looking to make the BYOB episodes for the podcast interactive. So if you have a question about personal branding, online reputation management, job searching, or you're just looking for some specific career advice, head on over to ryanroten.com forward slash message. This will take you to a page where you can leave me a voicemail with your question. And if you do, I'll feature your question along with my advice and suggestions on a future BYOB episode. That link again is ryanroten.com forward slash message. That wraps us up for today. The show notes for today's show can all be found on the website at ryanroten.com forward slash Rachel Sobel. Until next week, I've been Ryan and I'm out. Today's show was edited and produced by Ryan Roten and the intro and outro music is Pulse by Soundroad.